Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are interested in learning more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. Today, I am joined by Kathy Thacker. Hello, Kathy. Hi, baby. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I want to start out with our first question, just to lay down the background. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, my studio is um, one that teaches students of, I say, all ages. My youngest is six. My current oldest student is 60. So um, I actually started teaching adult students just a few years ago. I was kind of hesitant to enter that field. Um, I'm also president of Gwinnett County Music Teachers Association and president-elect of Georgia MTA. And I actually believe in being a, um, a very active member of any organization that I belong to. Um, while I was in college, I was actually fearful of being able to support myself with um, being a piano teacher. So after I graduated in 1984, I retooled and I became a legal assistant. And I did that for six years working with real estate attorneys um, in Virginia and then also in Texas. But after that, I, I, after that, I guess we started our family and I was a stay-at-home mom for a few years. And then when my um, oldest child was five, I got back into piano. And um, it wasn't like I had left it completely. I was you know, actively playing in church and being involved, but that was actually when I started my piano teaching career was um, at that point. And I came back to what I had really loved all along. So um, can I backtrack a little bit and ask you about your degrees? It sounds like you studied music in college, is that correct? Well, yes and no. <laughs> I started off majoring in piano pedagogy. And just like you said, um, I, I was a little bit nervous about the whole idea of being able to support myself that way. So I actually changed and I got my degree in English education. That is my bachelor's degree, but I did study piano all the way through. At that time, the college I attended did not offer a minor in music or I would have um, chosen that. So I did study music all the way through, but I didn't actually graduate with my degree in piano pedagogy because of just my fear of how am I gonna be able to support myself with this? And then actually, like I said, after I graduated, I kind of switched years again and went off and became a legal assistant so <laughs> but you know I was I had some successful employment that way and the English skills were very good all the way through and then I got my national certification um, in piano a few years ago because I knew that it was really important to have those kind of credentials. Can I back up even more and ask about <laughs> the beginnings of Kathy? Where are you from? Where were you born? Where's your family okay. from? Okay, I'm from Lima, Ohio, which is halfway between Dayton and Toledo. So I grew up a Buckeye and um, that's where my family, my, I, my father's still living. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. So, um, but I've been, you know, gone from Ohio for a number of years now. And how did you get started with music? What were your right. memories of music? That, that's kind of, uh, in my mind, it's a little bit of a funny story because from the time I was probably five or six, I was bugging my parents relentlessly that I wanted to learn to play the piano. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, they just kind of kept putting me off. I don't know if they thought I wasn't serious or what, but they, you know, we didn't have a piano in the house. And I just kept telling them that's what I wanted to do. 
And so finally, when I was in the fourth grade in elementary school, I had the opportunity to play in the school orchestra. So I signed myself up for playing the violin. I came home and I told my parents that that was what I was going to do. Since they were not going to get me a piano, I was going to learn music somehow. And within two weeks, I had a piano at home <laughs> and I started taking piano lessons. <laughs> what changed for them? Was it that they didn't want to listen to violin practicing or they realized that you were really serious? I think it was a combination of both. My older brother had also done violin, and I think it was a, a few too many years of the <laughs> Yes. Now, did you keep up with violin at all after that? Not really. I, I kind of, I think they didn't want my involvement in the school orchestra, so I guess they unsigned me. I don't even know. I don't remember that story too much. I just know that I did not actually play in the school orchestra, that my attention was focused then just on piano. <laughs> After you started piano lessons, what was practicing like for you as a child? Were you self-motivated or did your parents have to stay on top of you for that? No, I, I was one of those, and I'm not saying this to brag, but, um, you know, the piano was my friend at home waiting on me. So as soon as I got home from school, I would drop my backpack and I would go straight to the piano and I would practice because I just loved it so much. So they never had to remind me. Um, I, was, I was actually pretty self-motivated. I just loved it. Hmm. So... You know, you talked a little bit about your journey and it's been a roundabout journey in terms of getting to be a piano teacher and a professional musician. Um, so can I ask why, why the drive? Why are you a musician and why are you a teacher? Why didn't you just stay in the legal field? Um, a couple of reasons for that. Like I said, I, I think some of it was the fact that I um, became a mother, you know, six, seven years, I guess, after we were married. So I had some time at home. And actually, when I had some more time at home, I was actually playing piano a little bit more. Um, anyway, so it, when my daughter was in kindergarten, I decided I wanted to take some piano lessons again. And so the, the gentleman who um, was teaching me asked me that um, this was in connection with a private school. And he said, do you have any teaching experience? And I said, well, yes, actually, I do. Years ago, I had taught, you know, for a brief time, a couple of years. And he hired me to start teaching um, students at their school. So one thing led to another. And I guess that was really kind of the birth of my professional musician career, if you want to call it that. That was up in Illinois in 1997. That interesting so it sounds like you went in for piano lessons for yourself but <laughs> right. you came out with a job as a piano teacher correct yes it, it was kind of a, a funny combination of things yes <laughs> did you end up taking piano lessons for yourself at that point I did I studied with him we were only there for uh, three and a half years and I mean I didn't start my lessons immediately with him so I guess I took from him for, for a couple of years and then um, after we, we moved to um, the Atlanta area in 2000. And so when I started my certification journey, I knew that I needed a mentor. And so I started lessons with David Watkins uh, from the Atlanta area. That was in 2013. And I have, um, I would still be with him except for the pandemic because he did not feel comfortable teaching online lessons, but I had him for over seven years. And once he feels comfortable with in-person lessons again, um, I would love to go back and study some more with him. I've just learned so much. This is fascinating. I think it's rare for adults and professionals 
to be so active about pursuing education and continuing education, you must be incredibly self-motivated. I truly love music. And when I set out my mind and path to do something, I usually will find a way to make that happen. I, I truly am a believer in lifelong learning. And that's one of the reasons, and I know, you, you know, this is kind of further down the path, but that's one of the reasons that I love Georgia Music Teachers Association. I love my local association and also at the national level, because we have top pedagogues that come in and have wonderful conference sessions. And I feel like I have learned so much from both my colleagues and from, you know, the, our speakers. And um, yeah, I, I just, I love all of that. <laughs> Tell me, what are some challenges you have encountered as a musician? This is not specific to teaching, but as a musician for yourself. Right. Okay. Well, and, and it is kind of, I guess, in reference more to um, maybe my, my job, but um, not being taken seriously because my studio is in my home. You know, sometimes people look at me like, oh, you're just, you know, you're, you're kind of this you know, wife and mother or whatever, and you just happen to like piano and teach piano. Um, so I, that, that has been a little bit of a challenge at times. And then also not always being paid in a timely manner, um, either for, you know, teaching or <laughs> just one time I, I was playing for a wedding and, um, you know, I, I think I just wasn't probably businesslike enough in my um, initial approach. And so it wasn't until after the wedding, and I mean, like a couple of weeks after that, I finally got paid. And that, that was, you know, I felt like not very respectful. I mean, they were very appreciative of the job that I had done, but it just didn't seem to be a priority. So anyway, so, and these are the exception rather than the rule, but they can be a major frustration. Um, and I guess just some other challenges um, might be just, you have to be prepared to play on any instrument. I've done a lot of accompanying. I have accompanied students at solo and ensemble. I have accompanied, you know, chorus at LGPE and in other venues I've accompanied at recitals. Sometimes you don't know what that instrument is gonna be like until you show up. And it might be a, a kind of cheesy, you know, um, not so good keyboard. And you just have to go with it and be gracious. <laughs> You know, we can't always have a wonderful, you know, grand piano to play on, right? Right, right. Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's turn our attention to teaching specifically. Tell me about how you approach teaching. What is your teaching philosophy? All right. I am very much not a cookie cutter kind of teacher. I do believe that every student that walks through the door or that I'm teaching online is an individual. And I really do try to individualize both the curriculum and the style for each person, you know, because we all have different levels of interest. I realize that for some of these um, kids, you know, it's just something else on the parents checklist, right? So I still have um, a certain amount of objective material that I want to cover with them. But as my students get a little bit older, I might give them a little more leeway. You know what I'm saying? Like with young kids, <laughs> even if they tell me they don't like a song, and we've always, you know, we've always gone, you know, all of us have had that happen. I mean, I remember the first time my piano teacher introduced me to Bartok. I hated Bartok and I hated the piece that she assigned, Bear Dance, but I had to learn it anyway. <laughs> so with my younger students, you know, even if they tell me they don't like a piece, I, you know, I, again, I'll just kind of listen to their complaint and then say, well, you know, thank you for sharing that with me, but we do need to work on this because it will teach us something important, you know. But then with my older students, basically middle school through high school and adults, I give them a little more leeway. 
Okay. And this was actually one of the things that was kind of pointed out to me when I was doing my MTNA certification. You have to understand the different learning styles that students have. You know, some of them are strong readers. Some of them are more, um, you know, auditory and process things that way. Some of them really need to have more modeling, you know, not necessarily rote teaching, but something that approaches that, you know, and, and that was why, you know, during the pandemic, some of this was difficult because it's not like I could um, easily teach pedaling over, you know, online lessons, but, you know, but when they're here in the studio with me, you know, let me sit on the bench. You watch me, you know, you get down on the floor and see what my foot is doing, you know, some of those kinds of things. So, I really do try to approach each student just individually and, and not think, oh yeah, you're just another one because we are all individuals. This tag along the previous question, but how do you set appropriate goals for your students and even goals for yourself as their teacher? Um, okay, <laughs> you're not kind of going exactly like what I was expecting, but that's okay. So. I set goals for myself, both in what I am practicing and working on, and I also set goals for them. I'm an active member um, in American College of Musicians, so eight of my students just participated in Piano Guild. We just had their Piano Guild auditions. I also adjudicate for them, so I just finished up a couple of different rounds of that. I feel like that helps me become a better teacher and musician by seeing what other teachers are doing with their students, maybe some of the repertoire that they're working on or some of the technique. Um, and then the goals that I set for my students kind of across the board, I want all of them to be good note readers, to be able to decipher and decode what is on the page. Because if you play only by ear, that is one strength and one skill. If you play only what's on the page, that's another strength and skill. But if you can kind of meld some of those things, I think you will just rise to the top and, and really explore all of your um, musical um, potential. So, um, you know, I do work with each one on technique, on theory, on repertoire. And then I tell everybody, you know, that I expect you to perform at some point. Like I just, a week ago Sunday, I had a Zoom recital for the students who didn't feel comfortable playing in person in front of a group. I, and I understand that I've been very respectful of everybody's you know, wishes during the pandemic. I've taught um, probably 13 students online during this past, you know, well over a year now. And um, I also will perform in the fall recital because I want my students to see, oh, she's willing to get up there and play in front of us. She understands because when they tell me, I'm so nervous, I don't know how I can do this. I tell them, I get that, I'm nervous too, but we just have to go ahead and do it and share the music that we love with each other. So those are some of the goals I set for myself. Um, and then I expect each one of them to have at least one performance during the year. I offer a fall recital and a spring recital. I offer piano guild opportunities, federated festival opportunities. For students who are um, maybe more competitive or, or want a bigger challenge than we try the GMTA auditions, you know, so does that answer your question? Yes, I have a couple of follow-ups based on your answer, which is you talked about the importance of being able to read. Um, how do you train that? What techniques do you use to teach that skill to your students? Um, well, I mean, obviously, I use a lot of the major method books that probably most of us will use. And, and again, depending, sometimes you don't get the best input from parents, okay? Um, I don't think I've ever had a parent tell me before I started teaching their child that their student was below average. You know, usually they're exceptional. 
Um, so, you know, and, and I take all that at face value and I know that parents really love their kids. I get that. But sometimes it's not until I'm into a few lessons with them that I realize, oh, they probably are struggling with math at school or they're probably struggling with reading. Maybe they aren't exactly where they need to be. So I will try to supplement with some extra sight reading in the lesson, or I may take a sidestep. I may realize, oh, I didn't choose the right curriculum for them. We need to do something a little bit differently. Is that what you're after? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm curious about the pieces that you play in your student recital. How do you decide what to play and what kind of pieces do you play for them? <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's something that, like I said, the last time I played in a student recital was um, November of 2019. Up until this past Sunday, that was the last in-person recital that I had. And then this last Sunday, I had a couple of recitals over piano works. And I was so excited that we were actually, you know, performing for each other live. I mean, you know, anyway, that was that was pretty cool. But in the fall recitals, I will just play something that I have been working on with David Watkins or, you know, that I sometimes he initiates it. Sometimes I do because you know, we've kind of had that give and take of, um, you know, there's there's whatever, something that I would like to study. So most recently, I guess um, last fall, I did it over a Zoom recital. I played the Chopin Nocturne in C-sharp minor. And the previous fall, I had played the Chopin Nocturne Opus 9, number one in, in B-flat minor. So I don't know, maybe I was feeling a little melancholy during that time. I'm not exactly sure. You know, I, I thought about that later. I thought maybe I should have been playing something really upbeat. You know, sometimes it, it just kind of depends. Sometimes it's a whim, like, oh, I just feel like playing, you know, like one time I played um, an arrangement by Philip Kevrin um, from the Phantom of the Opera, just because I loved it so much. So sometimes I've played some kind of fun, more pop kind of pieces or whatever. I usually try to do a more serious um, classical piece, but um, you know, of different orders of magnitude. That's wonderful. I love that you give your students that kind of musical experience and that kind of modeling. Um, tell me about some of the biggest teaching challenges you have faced and how you overcame them. Um, probably the biggest challenges for me is just the fact that I didn't take any kind of special education classes. They weren't it really emphasized a whole lot in the early 1980s when I was in college. So I've had students with ADHD, Tourette syndrome, and even autism. You know, each student has um, his or her own individual needs, but I wasn't trained to deal with some of these situations. And again, Parents are not always upfront, even though I will ask them in an interview or via emails, you know, what can you tell me about your, you know, your child's learning, um, you know, aptitudes, strengths, weaknesses, are there any special things I should know, they don't always share that information. So that has resulted a couple of times in just some unusual situations. Um, one time I had um, a student who was almost just seemed kind of zombie-like in a lesson. So I literally walked out with that student after his lesson and asked the parent in the car, um, can you tell me what's going on? I'm kind of concerned. And then the parent shared, oh yes, we, you know, this, this child has been on some medication, but we decided this week to, to just drop the, you know, to take off, you know, take him off his medicine. And, and my reaction was, well, have you discussed this with, you know, the, the doctor or the professional who had prescribed it in the first place? Because what I'm seeing is not what I have been seeing prior to this. You might want to reconsider this. You know, I don't have any kind of credentials to say that I should be advising parents in that way. But I just knew what I was seeing in the lesson that day was not typical 
Um, so, so some of those kinds of things. On the, on the more positive side of teaching challenges, I had a student a few years ago who had been with me for a while and wanted to study jazz. And I was honest with this individual. I said, I have studied classical music. I have studied hymn playing. I don't have a background in jazz. So I advised him to study with another teacher, but he wanted to stay with me because we already had that relationship. So I said, okay, we'll find a way to make this happen. And I went and bought a textbook and a workbook. And so we learned some jazz principles together. And, you know, that, that was kind of fun and thrilling for me because I learned things that I hadn't previously learned. And then I gave those books to him as a gift. And then he actually went off and minored in music in college. So, you know, that, that was kind of cool. Can I ask what book uh, you got? <laughs> I don't even remember. I'm sorry. That, that's probably been 15 years ago now. So I, I really, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't remember what that was. <laughs> You've talked uh, fairly extensively about your desire to grow as a professional and your, your self-motivation and the importance of being in, involved in professional organizations. So can you tell me about your time as being part of GMTA and MTNA and um, if you've been in other state chapters as well, how did you hear about the organization and what has being part of this organization meant to you? Okay, I didn't really find out about MTNA and GMTA until 2002. At that time, I was teaching at Smoke Rise Academy of the Arts in Stone Mountain. And so um, my uh, administrator boss at that time told me that she wanted me to join because she wanted to, you know, she knew that it was important for me to offer some different opportunities for my students. And I said, okay. Um, so I did and very quickly became involved in my local chapter, Gwinnett County Music Teachers Association. And at the state level, um, it's been a few years ago, but I've worn some different hats. I started off by being a regional coordinator when they went to that um, kind of middle level of auditions. So I ran that for region one for a few years. And then they asked me to be the VP of auditions. And I served two terms of that. So I did that for four years. And then I was VP of newsletters. And then I, I became um, president elect this last fall. So um, again, I, I just, I feel like what we offer to our students and to our teachers is so incredibly valuable. I just can't overstate that. And it's been my pleasure to attend, you know, I think every GMTA state conference since I became a member in 2002. Um, and I've been able to attend many MTNA conferences, not every single year, but um, I've just, I feel like I have become more enriched with every one of those experiences. I think of our music teachers and our, especially our private studio teachers as people who are really on the ground um, and able to see what the next generation is dealing with and what we can expect for the future. So from your perspective, what do you see is the future and the role of classical music in society in the 21st century? Where are we headed? Um, what are these, what can we expect from the next generation? I don't know if I can forecast that, um, but I will tell you what I think. I believe that classical music should always be a part of our culture and lives. It makes me very happy that public schools reinforce this by using classical repertoire, both in their band and their orchestra programs. Um, it would kind of tickle me sometimes, my own children who are now 28, 26, and 21, 
um, I'm a band mom. They all did, you know, they started off with some piano, but then they developed, you know, they learned another instrument through school. But when they would come home and say, oh, we just started working on such and such, you know, the Pines of Rome. Have you ever heard of that? And I would walk over and I would pull out the CD. Yes, it's by Respighi. And then I put it and they say, wow, you already knew about this. I said, yes, your mom knows lots about classical music. <laughs> so anyway, and I've seen that with my own um, piano students too, you know, if they are in chorus or if they're in orchestra or band and they're sharing with me, you know, because I'll ask them, what are you learning? What are you studying right now? What are you playing? And um, anyway, so one trend that I do see, and I could never have prophesied this, is the prevalence of online teaching, online lessons. Since the pandemic, I believe that online teaching and virtual events will probably always be with us um, initially. And I know it's just because I'm older. Initially, I was kind of antagonistic towards that whole concept or whatever, but I feel like I have learned to embrace it. Um, having said that, I don't want to start new students that way, but I have several um, students who want to continue with online lessons and, uh, and I'm okay with that. I think that, that there's a place for that. And I have a teenage student who feels more comfortable with Zoom recitals um, because you don't have to get up in front of people you know what I mean? You're, you're just you're just on your own instrument at home with this device. And it was just a less threatening situation. So I thought, so maybe that's something that I need to continue to offer, even though I hadn't thought of it. So that may not completely answer your question. But, you know, I know you were wondering about the future of music. I think music will always be a part of our lives. I, I don't know that I can say what's going to happen with classical music, but I truly hope that people will always make it a priority. Um. This wasn't really on our list of questions, but I want to ask this because I'm curious, you talked about your children being involved in music. What was it like for them having a mother who is a musician and having them take music lessons? Because a lot of people who do take music lessons don't have that advantage and don't have that experience. So what was it like for you and for them? Um, the piano lessons were, relatively short-lived with each one of my three kids because I think it was difficult for them to see me in a different way even even though they knew that other kids were coming in and out of the house they saw me teaching them all of a sudden I wasn't exactly mom anymore but they knew that uh, that music was a huge priority so um, each one was told basically after you know the whatever half a year or a year or however long we did piano each one was given a choice and I said you know in some ways it'll be easier if you choose to go on with piano because we already have well I actually have three <laughs> I have an acoustic upright for my teaching studio I also have a digital piano I use for company and then I have my grand piano over in the living room but um you know we have pianos for you to practice on I, and I said, we can get, we can find you a different teacher. I said, or you can choose a different instrument and then you will have to go with a different teacher because I don't teach anything other than piano. So each one of them chose um, a wind instrument, flute for my oldest, um, trumpet and then euphonium for the middle. And he actually played a marching band in college too. So he kind of carried it forward a little bit further. And then for my youngest, she chose oboe. Um, they, they each have some funny stories about, you know, the, when, you, when you're the kid of a uh, music teacher, you hear some interesting things that happen in the studio. Um, again, years ago, I had a student who liked to sing along um, while playing. 
and my son would would kind of say to me afterwards, can you please make that stop? <laughs> and I would tell him, you know, when that lesson is either go outside and run around <laughs> or go in your room and put some headphones on, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Does that kind of answer your question? <laughs> yeah, that helps. Uh, gives us a glimpse into your personal life and how your professional life and your personal life kind of intertwine. Yes. They knew that music, you know, once they embarked um, on whatever their instrument was, that they would be taking private lessons, studying and performing all the way through high school. And when my oldest went off to college, she looked at me and said, Mama, this was your dream, not mine. I'm not playing anymore. And of course it broke my heart, but I had to get over it. And the funny thing is she actually ended up taking voice lessons while in college. And then she did come back um, and start playing the flute again. So I don't think you can ever shed it. I think once you are introduced to music, it will always be a part of the fabric of your life because it's just that powerful and meaningful. So, so I was right after all. <laughs> Did you, did you ever have a discussion as a family that um, once they start an instrument that they would go all the way through? Um, did they ever ask and plead to, you know, quit uh, lessons? Was that ever an issue? It, it wasn't a huge issue because they just knew what the expectation was. It was kind of funny because, um, like I said, the, the age difference between my oldest and youngest is seven years. And so when the youngest was asking why I was making her play in solo and ensemble, um, my oldest looked at her and said, don't you get it? Our mother's a music teacher and this is what you have to do. <laughs> but you know what? My oldest who resented playing in flute recitals when she was um, in middle school and high school later thanked me because she said, you know what? That helped me when I had to do presentations in college. She just recently graduated with her MBA and master's of finance. Um, so she went on to get, you know, more degrees. And she said, having to stand in front of people and perform helped me with doing presentations and helped me with job interviews. It gave me some confidence that I didn't realize was being instilled. And I said, you're welcome. <laughs> this is going to be our very last question, which is, do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and enter professional life? Yes, I actually do. If you are teaching independently, have a business-oriented approach from the very beginning. I received some good advice, but it was like years after I'd been teaching um, by a veteran um, member of my um, Gwinnett County group who said, don't teach your neighbors and don't teach um, your, your friends' kids. And I thought, oh, that seems kind of weird. But she made a good point. Sometimes, sometimes there can be some personal feelings that get involved or, or just some misunderstandings. Anyway, have a very business-oriented approach from the very beginning. Be firm with your policies and expectations. Form relationships with other professionals and make sure that you are a part of your local association. Attend the meetings. Learn what there is to learn and enter your students in those events. If you're teaching in a school setting, get along with your colleagues there and promote the arts. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kathy. It has been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you, baby. May I say one more thing before we end? Yes. 
Okay, my piano teacher, I was so fortunate to have the same one from fourth through 12th grade. She is 95 years old and we still keep in touch. I actually went to see her a couple of summers ago and we keep in touch via Christmas cards and sometimes emails. So I just, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. I love the lifelong relationships you can have with your teachers or your students. Yes, I, I had that experience myself as well. We become lifelong friends with them. Yes. Well, um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. And thank you for opening up your life with us. I wish you happy teaching and happy students. Thank you.